Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you're all well. And uh, I I couldn't wait for the intro to finish. I'm excited to get on here and speak to you all. So uh, I hope it's uh, it's not too bad where you are. It's a little dark in here today, isn't it? Um, it's Thursday morning, and we are live on Facebook, Periscope, YouTube. I'm so thankful to have you um, all with me. That It really is dark, isn't it? Just bear with me a second. See if we can adjust the light here somewhere. Ooh, cinematic. Uh, the joys of being in a hotel, I guess. Well, praise God. Good morning, Miss Cheryl. Good to have you on. Miss Cassie, I saw you on. Good to have you. So thankful you're here and so thankful you're joining. I don't know if you've been watching the uh, Global Missions Week for Miracle TV and, and uh, Good News TV with Prophet Hubert Angel. I've been honored and blessed to be a guest on the shows. It has been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. God is doing something truly incredible. We got some very cinematic lighting going on this morning. Uh, praise God! You know, people pay big money to get lighting like this in the studio. Trust me, I know. Um, I am a little tired. <coughs> I seem to have, uh, brother Martin. Good to have you on. Um, <coughs> little bunged up. Um, something that, for some strange reason, always happens to me when I'm in a hotel. I guess I just. Uh, I don't know if it's the air conditioning or the recirculated air or whatever it is. Anyway, that's irrelevant. I am truly, truly uh, thankful that you're joining us uh, wherever you're watching. I'm not going to keep you long. As I said, I, I live stream periodically throughout the week. Um, but uh, yesterday I was sitting here in my hotel room and I, I've just got to share this with you <coughs> because it really struck me as something important. And I was talking to the Holy Spirit yesterday, just trying to uh, manage time between phone calls and, and bits and bobs that were happening uh, here. And um, as I was doing that, uh, I was began to... Uh, oh, thank you, Miss Charlotte. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, as I was sitting here studying, listening to the scriptures and reading through the Word of God, my mind drew back to the Gospel of Luke. Um, we quite often uh, teach about it, the, the fields are white and the harvest. Truly the harvest is great, the King James says. Truly the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore I pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. And uh, I thought, let me just check on that. Because Luke 10.2 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's not my favorite. Uh, Proverbs 4 verse 10 is my favorite verse in the entire Scripture. John chapter 15 is my favorite chapter in Scripture. Um, but I thought, let, let, me just, uh, <clears throat> let me just check on something. It's something in my spirit. And as I began to read the Holy Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, the Holy Spirit really began to minister to me. And I want to share this with you this morning. For all of my Christian life, both as a young Anglican and then as a charismatic Pentecostal evangelical, whatever moniker you want to put on me, for all of that time, I have been taught and have preached that that scripture is to us about going into the harvest field the non-church, the non-saved, for the work of the gospel. And yesterday, Brother Donald, good to have you on, sir. Yesterday, as I was sitting here studying, the Holy Spirit revealed something to me that struck me. And I am now fully persuaded by what he showed me yesterday through the scripture that the field, the harvest that is truly great, is not the unbeliever. It is, in fact, the church. And there's a, a key element in the original texts of Luke in the Greek that is translated into the King James but is missed in most other translations. Most other translations say, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers, you forgive me, I quote King James poorly, into the harvest. But the Greek 
says his harvest. King James says his harvest. The significance of that is his harvest is not the unbeliever. Oh, I just lost somebody. The Lord's harvest is not the unbeliever. The Lord's harvest is the church. The Lord's harvest is not the unbeliever. The Lord's harvest is the church. You see, we sow seeds into the unbeliever, seeds of, seeds of our words, seeds of the gospel, and when they mature, when the life in them is brought forth, the harvest is the unbeliever becomes the believer. So when, the, when Luke is talking about sending laborers into his harvest, what he's talking about is our role within the church. Think about it. It is, see, God is not looking for, so if I, let me backtrack. If I put it into this context, right? The word laborer in Greek doesn't mean worker like we would associate it to. The word laborer in Greek literally means workers willing to do the work. Workers willing to do the work. So when the Bible talks about in the Gospel of Luke, which is also replicated in Matthew, so they both hear it from the same source, both being synoptic Gospels, when the, the Gospel account talks about the laborers are few, it is not talking about there being an insufficiency of laborers. It is talking about there being an insufficiency of workers willing to do the work. Well, where do we find that most prevalent? In the church. Because most people come to the church, I, I mean the church universal, the body of Christ, get saved, maybe get filled with the Spirit, take a pew, and that's all they do. They never get involved in the work of the gospel. I once heard a preacher say, and this is astounding, I'm not anointed to win souls. I said to him, neither am I. Yet, by Christ's own words, I'm commanded. There isn't an anointing for the winning of souls. Read Isaiah 61. That tells you what the anointing is for. But I am not anointed to win souls. I am commanded to win souls. And, according to Scripture, there is a benefit for the winning of souls because he who wins souls is wise. But, Christ doesn't anoint me for the winning of souls. Therefore, if I'm not anointed to win souls and I'm commanded, and God is, or Christ is praying for, forgive me, my chair's uncomfortable, Christ is praying for the Lord to send laborers into his harvest, he is definitely not talking about the unbeliever. He is definitely talking about us, the church. Now, we go on through the, the scripture and the writer to the Hebrews, which some attribute to be Paul, most would attribute to be, Barn uh, to, to, to be either Barnabas or Apollos. Um, most look at that, where it talks about in, in Hebrews 6, about show how much more do I have to keep teaching the basics of the faith? Can we not move on to, now the scripture says, perfection. But the word perfection doesn't mean to be perfect, as in to be spotless, to be without fault. What it means is to be mature. Can we not move on to maturity? So when Jesus is praying for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest, what he is asking for is that God would find those who are mature amongst the believers. You know, I was talking with the prophet on set last night. And uh, I said, you, you know, when I was a babe, my mother fed me milk. But at some point, I went through the discomfort of having to switch from milk to solid food, which meant I had to learn to chew. I had to learn to digest as a baby, as a, as a you know, wee child. And I'm sure that at first, this new experience of digesting food was uncomfortable. Not just in the learning to eat properly, but we know for any of us that have raised children, uh, any of us that are parents, or those that have been around young children, there is a difference 
in what comes out of a child when you switch from milk to solid food. So, as we move into maturity, there is a major difference, and I'm not talking about the refuse that comes out, but that will come out in the process of maturity. There is a major difference in what comes out of us as we mature to what came out of us when we simply lived on the milk of God's Word. Every single one of us comes to Christ based on somebody else's revelation of who he is until we are mature enough in our own faith that Christ himself reveals himself to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Every person that gets saved gets saved on the basis of who Christ is to another person. Very few, in fact I can count on less than one hand, those that came to Christ because Christ revealed himself to them first. So what we have is a plentiful, plentiful harvest of believers called church, but a true absence of workers within the body willing to do the work of the church. And therefore, the scripture continues, I pray, as King James says, well, the Greek word for pray used in the Gospel of Luke is the word deomai, Deomai doesn't mean to pray, it means to plead or to beg, like one begging and pleading for one's life. Changes the context. So Jesus isn't praying. Jesus is literally begging the Father, pleading with the Father, to force workers into the harvest. In other words, force people to work in the church, to do the work of the church. And then he carries on, therefore I pray, Deomai, beg, plead, the Lord would send forth, the Greek word there in, in the Gospel of Luke is the word ekbalo. Ekbalo only appears one other time in all four Gospel accounts. Ekbalo, the prefix ek, gives a forceful action. The church in Greek is called the ekklesia. Ekklesia meaning the called at ones, the separated ones. The, the prefix ek on that means that there is a violent action involved in that separation, a violent bringing out. In other words, you are wrenched from the world that you once were in to be in Christ, to be in the church, to be called out, to be separated. You are literally forcefully separated. And what we have is a church, a body of believers that are not allowing the Holy Spirit to forcefully separate them from the world in which they came. What we have is bodies of believers full of people desperately clinging to the life they came out of, refusing to be separated, refusing to be called out because they're standing with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, or one foot in the grave, I would like to say, and one foot in the church, hanging on a life they used to live Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and desperately trying to be Sunday saints. And the Holy Spirit is trying to literally wrench us out of that, to, to forcefully separate it. Now, to give you an indication of the magnitude of this, this understanding of the ekbalo separation, like the ekklesia, the forceful separated ones, the only time Jesus uses this word in all four Gospels, other than in Luke 10.2, because Matthew doesn't record the same as Luke records in the verbiage, Jesus says this, Behold, I saw Satan cast out ek balo of heaven like lightning. So the, the, the understanding is that there is a massive, violent, forceful action used in the, dispis uh, dis the, 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 the dispensing and dismissing of Satan from heaven, which means that there is a massive forceful action used in the casting out, or should say casting in. You know, I, I've, ever, I've never understood why fishermen talk about, I cast out the nets. The casting out is the throwing action, but you're actually casting them in, because they're casting the nets into the water to catch the fish. 
So Jesus is praying that God would literally cast out or cast in the workers into the harvest, even if they're not willing to do it. Even if they're not willing to do it. See, sometimes you have to do the thing you don't want to do until it becomes the thing you want to do. I can tell you that from my own experience in my own ministry. There were many times that the Holy Spirit asked me to do something that I did not want to do. But in my reluctance, I did it. And the very thing he asked me to do became the thing I wanted to do. The very thing I did not want to do that he had asked me to do became the thing I wanted to do. Why? Because the Bible says, if thou be willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. In my travels around the world, in my travels to multiple thousands of churches, I've met an awful lot of people that were willing, but not obedient, and obedient, but not willing. But it is only when we are willing and obedient. So when we look at the church, and instead of complaining about the mess that's there, instead of complaining about it not doing certain things, instead of, instead of always looking at the negative, why don't you be the thing in the body that you say, we need this? Don't wait for somebody else. Don't make God pick you up and cast you out because you may, be, you may be a worker, but you're not willing to do the work. Why does Jesus pray? Because he knows there are, a, there are people. Now remember, at this point, Jesus isn't talking about the church. Jesus is talking about the Jews. But we see... The scripture says he came to his own and his own received him not. So Jesus came to the Jews and the Jews rejected him. And in doing so, he turns his attention to the Gentiles, as you and me. Those that were not Jewish. And the church hasn't replaced Israel. But the church has become God's body. And why is he looking for a maturity in the body? Well, the answer is simple. Jesus said, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And every preacher that I've ever heard preach that scripture, bar one, talks about how Jesus had no place to rest, had no home of his own, and they are missing the context of what he is saying at all. Why is God, in the person of Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, looking for a body because he is the head and what he is saying was that the son of man could not find a body mature enough to place his headship on to rest his head upon yes he is telling us the church the body of believers the body of christ you need to be mature enough to handle the headship that I lay on the body. So we have to start looking at how do we mature in our daily life? How do we grow, not as a child would grow, but exponentially and swiftly so that in our spiritual maturity, we are able to handle the weight of the headship that Christ places on us as his body. We have to be mature, seasoned, well-versed, well-grounded, well-built. Think about it. Think about it. So that's my thought for this morning for you. Told you I wouldn't keep you long. Praise God. I, I forgot my glasses. I, it, <laughs> Now, I'm going to try and read the comments without it. I, can't, I can read close up. It's just my screen is very small, so forgive me. Let's see. Miss Charlotte, that was good. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're on today. That's a blessing. Miss Cassie, come on now. Miss Manon, wow. Oh, God spews them out of his mouth. Those with one foot in and the other foot out. Yes, praise God. Miss Charlotte, that's right. The weight of his headship. God is looking for a mature body to handle the weight of his headship. 
That's why Jesus is so desperate for us to be mature, to stop living like children, to start growing up. You know, somebody once said to me, uh, <clears throat> this, is, this is the idiocy of, of humanity. Somebody once said to me, you're not the same as you were when you were 20 years old. If I was the same as I was 24 years ago, I have not grown one bit. I have not matured. I have not developed. I am stuck in exactly the same place I was 24 years ago. If I am the same way at 37 years of age as I was at 17 years of age, I am still a child. I might have an adult's body, an almost middle-aged body, but I'm a child. See, the fact that you're not the same as you were uh, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, is proof that you've grown. It's proof that you've matured. It's proof that you've developed. Now, sadly, that maturation can be good and bad. That growth can be good and bad. See, we, we can grow and not always grow in, in good ways. You know, some of the growth that we have can be very bad. And a lot of our growth can result in a lot of immaturity in, in certain ways. Because we're not growing and developing. The right way, I should say. The right way. Apostle Claire, good to have you on from Holland, Rotterdam. Wonderful, wonderful. Brother Donald, thank you. Wow, thank you. That was great, sir. Praise God. We have to get ourselves into the Word into fellowship with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis so that we grow and we mature seasoned in the Word, not seasoned in the world. Let me say that again. We have to grow and mature daily by fellowship with the Holy Spirit, by ingesting the living Word so that we grow in maturity of the Word, not in maturity of the world. See, there's an awful lot of people right now that are maturing in worldly ways because their focus is not the word, the ways, and the will of God. Just this week, just this week, and you know, uh, for those of you that watch regularly, you know, I always talk about my own experiences and what is happening to me because I believe in leading by example. Just this week, the Holy Spirit ministered something to me and all of the the things that I desired, not to do with ministry or, but, you know, stuff that I would like to own, let's put it like that, things I would like to have. When the Holy Spirit asked me, why do you want them? I could not give an unselfish answer. Is that a bad thing? It's a bad thing if I can't own up to that. It's a bad thing if I can't admit that. It's a bad thing if I don't see that. But I saw it. And, uh, the prophet and I were joking because for, for a couple of years I've said, oh man, I, I really want to, I really want to buy myself a Bentley. I like Bentleys. But when the Holy Spirit said to me, I was following one the other day, uh, driving to the hotel here. And when the Holy Spirit said to me, why do you want one? I realized there was not an unselfish answer in me. So over the next few hours, the Holy Spirit began to look at things that I, you know, like uh, your list of goals or your visions or your, your, your dream board or whatever you want to call it, your vision board. And uh, my vision board is not a, a physical board on a wall in my office. My vision board is a series of files that I keep on my iPad so I can travel with it. And he said to me, go through your vision board. Now, this is about maturity, folks. Understand this. This is about maturity, growing in God, maturing in God. And I began to go through my vision board on my iPad, and as I was going through it, I began to delete things out of it, because I realized there was not an unselfish answer to why that was on the vision board. See, maturity is growing to the point of desiring nothing but Him, desiring only to be like Him, to be where He is. And in doing that, God will give you the stuff. And God will keep you, will keep the stuff for you. And when it gets old, God will replace the stuff. But when your desire is the stuff, 
God doesn't give you the sun. God doesn't keep you with the sun. And tomorrow morning, when yesterday's mercies and his grace and his fellowship with the sun is a little old, a little stale, God doesn't renew that in the sun. Because when God gives you the stuff without the, the, the Savior, when God gives you the gift without the giver, the things that God gives you become the God you serve, the God you worship. Maturity is knowing I desire nothing save to be like him. Don Moen used to sing, I just want to be where you are, living daily in your presence. See, I might preach a thousand different messages, but every one should come back to one thing. Paul said, this one thing have I desired. When you answer the one thing, you, ha you are maturing Christ. But that one thing should always come back to the same answer. I'm learning that no matter what I preach, no matter what I teach by the Spirit of God, I am learning that I may preach a thousand different things, but they should all come back to one, one thing. This one thing have I desired, that I be like him. This one thing have I desired, that I be like him. So I want to encourage you to pursue him daily, not for the benefits but for the maturity that comes in knowing him, in being like him. Because in maturing, the stuff no longer becomes necessary. And when the stuff is unnecessary, that's when God gives it to you. Because he knows you won't make an idol out of it. You won't make a God out of it. You're mature enough to handle the weight of his headship. You're mature enough to handle the weight of his presence and you're mature enough to handle the weight of his blessings. Imagine that. The Bible says in Malachi, oh, uh, uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that they may be beat in mine house and see will I not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you do not have room enough to contain. See, but you've got to be mature to handle that kind of blessing. And the proof of maturity is you're unfazed by it. Doesn't bother you. You have it, but you're the custodian of it, not the keeper. So I am daily pursuing him, pursuing the Holy Spirit, that I might, even now, after almost 29 years of preaching, that I might mature, that I might be like him, for as Paul said, Dewar also says, this one thing have I desired, that I be like him. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Charlotte says, we must desire to be like him. Yes, we must. This, well, thank you. This, uh, this was a sobering word. Miss Marie, good to have you on. Apostle Claire is in agreement. Miss Cassie's in agreement. Praise God. This one thing have I desired, that I be like him. In all of my maturity, this one thing should I desire, that I be like him. Miss Cheryl, I have to squint to read this, so forgive me. Bishop, how do you find God's purpose for yourself beyond just what your passion is? Your passion is a key to your purpose. Your passion is the key to your assignment. I tell you what's another key to your assignment, which, we, you know, God's purpose for your life, God's assignment, is the very thing that you hate. If you hate disorder, for example, and you're good at administration, you're good at keeping things in order, that's a clue to your assignment. Imagine that. See, I love children. I couldn't eat a whole one, but I do love children. <laughs> but part of what I know God has assigned me to do is to create a safe place for children. And the outworking of that is my love for children the right way. Because in this day and age, to say that is a very dangerous thing. 
but I remember certain things I went through as a child and I see other children going through those things and that breaks my heart and I want to create a safe environment that children can be children that they can take their time in growing up that they do not lose their innocence because of what the world forces on them so my passion is to create a safe place for children I have a passion for for uh, battered wives and hurt children so my passion is one of my passions which is a key to my assignment is to create a safe space for them somewhere where they can feel safe and feel protected and not have to worry about being abused mentally physically emotionally financially spiritually whatever it is will I oversee that personally no God will provide the right place and the right people to help me develop that to protect people in that will we make the location of it public no because how do you protect somebody when everybody knows where they are See? so what you're passionate about Miss Cheryl what you're passionate about is a major clue to your assignment on the earth I am passionate about people being taught right you know I mentioned on the live stream that we had problems with last week somebody's asked me why do I preach a lot of doctrinal stuff why do I preach a lot of of uh, setting the record straight about scriptures and I told that person very straightly if other people stop preaching false doctrine and false teaching I wouldn't need to preach what I preach I could simply go on preaching the gospel but the reason I preach what I preach is because I have a passion for truth and I have a passion for accuracy if we're going to teach the Word of God we need to teach it right and in context of both the scripture and what the fathers of the church taught yes brother Donald you asked me the question if you've got a question let's ask I'll take a few minutes to Q&A and answer some questions the Bible says rightly dividing the word of truth it also says do everything right and in order so I get very passionate about novices in the pulpit who say things because they sound spiritual but are not scriptural and I have a passion to see that people are given the right word you see it's not enough to just hear the Bible you've got to know what it's saying and who it's saying it to prophet was dealing with this last night on you know you can have a you can have a man of God lay hands on you speak a word over you but is that the right word for you is that the right prayer for you is that the right man or woman of God for you right now in this season of your life you don't go to a to a um, um, you don't go to a, a faith preacher when you need healing you go to a healing evangelist well most people do see if I'm struggling financially I need to learn the laws of prosperity somebody that teaches uh, systematic theology is not going to deliver the right word for the season I'm in likewise there's a lot of people that say things from the pulpit as I said that sound scriptural but uh, same spiritual but aren't scriptural and because of this thing of rightly dividing the word of truth and, and let me tell you this folks because I'm always transparent I've not always uh, you know I've made mistakes I've, I've said things out of context I've done things that I shouldn't have done I'm like everybody I've made mistakes I've got you know I know the worst there is to know about me <laughs> you think what people say about me is bad you should know the truth <clears throat> but by God's grace I am able to do what I do so that get that gives me a, an indication I'm still talking to Miss Cheryl about the the passion and the purpose see because of the things that I feel I'm passionate about they indicate to me my purpose if I'm upset uh, not upset I'm passionate about truth of doctrine and truth of teaching how do I rectify that I study what's right and I become a teacher pure and simple God put me on this earth the Bible says to many given apostles prophets pastors teachers evangelists now we call that the fivefold ministry those are spiritual gifts not physical offices and they're given to the body of Christ not to the unbeliever to many given to, to, to as many a given pro, apostles prophets pastors teachers evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry I'm in the equipping business the saints are in the ministry 
Isn't that astounding? So, Brother Donald, what's your question, my brother? Type it out. Let's see it. Pastor Massa, Evangelist Pastor Sarwa Masi. I hope I said that correct. Blessings to you in Pakistan, sir. Uh, my, my team tell me you've been sending me some messages. I will get to them eventually. Uh, I tried to avoid um, engaging too much with messaging when I'm traveling because my focus is the assignment that I'm on. So don't think I'm not aware, sir. I am. Um, and I will respond in, in, uh, in due season. Any more questions before we go, before we close out? Man, I get on these live streams, I think. I'm going to be on there for five minutes. And look, here we go. Nearly 35 minutes has gone already. Thank you. My question is, how can you understand the anointing? I assume you mean on your man of God. How do you understand the anointing on your man of God, not the man Ah, please tell him I send my regards, Miss Cassie, and thank you so much. Thank you, Miss Cheryl. So let me just answer Brother Donald's how, a question. How is how can you understand the anointing? I'm assuming you mean on your man of God. Uh, not the man, but the anointing. Simple. You cannot separate the man from the anointing. God will use the anointing on his life. But he won't put that anointing, let's call it a grace, because there's only one anointing. We find it in Isaiah 61. There is grace on a man of God to flow in different dimensions of the same anointing. The one anointing that comes from God, that uh, the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus taught in the synagogue, quoting Isaiah, because he has anointed me and tells you why he's anointed us. The answer to your question, Brother Donald, is simple. Study. When I came to sit under my man of God, I invested hundreds and hundreds of hours in learning him. Elijah invested, Elisha, I should say, invested, some say, between 15 and 22 years of Elijah's life. Imagine that. I walked with him for 15. I think it's closer to 22 based on my, my uh, uh, studying of the time scale, uh, chronology of the life of Elijah and Elisha. So I'm, I always say 22 years. But Elisha invested 22 years of his life serving the man of God, and in serving the man of God, he learned the anointing that was upon him. Which is why, at the end of Elijah's days, knowing that he was going to be called up, and Elisha being told, your master will be taken from you today, when Elijah asks him, what can I do for you? Do a translation. Elijah says, I, Elisha says, I want a double portion of your anointing. Not the anointing of God your anointing. I want a double portion of what's on your life. Why did he do that? He has invested himself in it. You want to know, you want to understand the anointing on your man of God or your woman of God? Invest your life in them. I've said it, I've said it several times in the last few days on Missions Week. Do not invest in the world for a profit, P-R-O-F-I-T. Invest in the kingdom of God for a profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Because that's how you understand your life. God gives every single one of us a profit for our life. Who is the profit in your life? And what is the investment you're making in them? Are you walking with them like Elijah did with Elijah? Elisha is plowing the field. Elijah's walking down the road. And something in Elisha jumps to know, I need to go with this man. And the Bible says that he went back. Now, he was at the, the last of 12 oxen. To understand the scripture and the Hebrew traditions, if you were on the last plow, that meant you owned all the other plows in front of you. So Elijah is his own businessman. Elisha is his own businessman. Sees what's going on. Feels the stirring in his spirit. Decides, I'm going to walk with this man. Goes back and says, let me just go say goodbye to my mother and father because I'm going to walk with you. And Elijah's like, who are you? What do you want? Leave me alone. And Elisha goes back, kills the oxen, breaks up the plow and burns it, upon which he burns the oxen. Why does he do that? Because he now ensures I have got nothing to go back to. I cannot go back to the way that I was. I cannot go back to the people I was once with. When you connect with the man or woman of God for your life, everything in you should leap that you do not want to go back to the people you ran with, to the people that you worked with. Which means that from that moment, I had it in my own life, the day I met Mike Murdoch, I knew I am going to invest my life into that man, into studying that man, 
into knowing that man. When Dr. Murdoch and I are in the same room together, the flow of the spirit between us is incredible. I do not see it with, with I don't think I've ever seen it with anybody else. Why? Because of two things. One, that's my Elijah. That's my prophet. And I know it. And two, the investment I have made in his life. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially. To understand and comprehend the anointing that is on him. Because the anointing I sow into. The anointing. Now I'm not just talking about your money. The anointing that I sow into, as in sowing my life into it, not just my finances, sowing my prayer into it, not just my finances, sowing my emotions into it, not just my finances, the anointing I sow myself into, every part of me into, that is the anointing that I attract to my life, for my life, on my life. If you want to understand the anointing on your man of God, give your life to that man to that woman. Give your life in service by sowing every single part of you, and you will begin to understand it. Understand the anointing. Praise God. Thank you, Miss Cheryl. I really treasure those words. That's powerful. Wow, you just made my morning. How do I say that? I think, oh, there we go. I got it. I love your love for the word, Miss Cheryl said. You bring it across so powerfully. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am... Wow. That's actually made me feel quite emotional. I wish other people would, would get as passionate. I don't consider myself to be a great teacher. I never have. I, I don't consider myself to be well-learned in the scriptures. The more I learn about the word, the more I realize I don't know. Every day I sit down and read and study and I just realize that there's so much more to learn than I ever thought was even imaginable. But I have a passion for delivering the word in a way that, that really, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I want people to understand the word in context. So I labor to understand the word, and I labor to deliver the word with accuracy. Dr. Murdoch paid me an incredible compliment not too long ago, and uh, I guess I, I kind of like to brag on, on what he said, but um, during one of his live streams, Dr. Murdoch told everybody watching that, um, I'm going to read it to you, because Lady G screenshot it for me. Um, she's working on the book that he it, it appears in, and she sent it to me because uh, he said, look at the bishop in England. Now, Dr. Murdoch always corrects himself because you know, I doesn't, uh, he lives in Wales and he comes to see us. This is what Dr. Murdoch said about me. And I was truly humbled by these words. He is the most brilliant speaker I have ever heard in my life. It is like every word is so precise. Never hear anybody talk like that. He is a very different person. And somebody asked me about that, seeing as you mentioned it. Somebody asked me about that. Why do I, why, why do I, I speak the way that I speak? Why do I you know, preach the way that I preach, deliver the way? The answer to that is very simple. And, and this is why I, I, I understand what you're saying. And I'm truly thankful for what you're saying. I don't speak to be heard. I speak to be understood. And there's a big difference. I don't want you to hear the word. To just hear the word that I'm saying or bring it to you. I want you to understand the word. Because in understanding the word, that, the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You can hear truth and it not set you free. It's the truth understood that sets us free. See, there are two forms of truth. There is relative truth. In other words, a truth that's relative to you or relative to me. And then there is what I call true truth. Other people call it absolute truth. So we teach the scriptures in what I call relative truth. A lot of preachers do. They teach the scripture in relative truth. They take a truth and it becomes relative to the season of your life or the situation you're going through or the service that they're conducting. But God is absolute truth because God and his word is true regardless of time, season, struggle, whatever. That's why the Bible says, let every man be a liar. 
And God is God. In other words, God is truth. And every man, a liar. So I try not to bring a relative truth. My passion is to bring an absolute truth. Because the truth understood is the truth that sets you free. I know a lot of people that hear truth every week in Sunday, uh, in churches on Sundays and midweek services and through live streams and stuff, and hear that truth, but are never set free by that truth. Why? Because the truth is, I guess you could say the truth revealed, truth revealed, truth understood, whatever you context you want to put. You can hear truth and not be changed by it, but the truth revealed, the truth understood is the truth that sets you free. That's why you can hear a passage of scripture, hear two dozen preachers preach it, and then suddenly one comes and preaches it in truth, absolute, truth revealed, and it changes your life. And you think, I've heard other preachers preach that. But what they're preaching is a relative truth. It's relative to that moment. But it's not a true, it's not a truth in absolute. In other words, it's not a truth that is true regardless. Above all things, this word is true. So that's why I try to um, deliver the way that I deliver to you. And I want to bring you a truth that will set you free. A truth understood. So I try to speak so that everybody understands and everybody comprehends. Now, Dr. Murdoch also told me once, I have the most intimidating style uh, of preaching. And if you ever get to sit in the, the congregation when I'm preaching, I think Brother Martin has seen it at one of Dr. Murdoch's uh, partner meetings in London. I might say something that I feel is, is a powerful truth. And then I stand there staring at people like, did you just get what I said? And Dr. Murdoch said to me, it's very impactful, the way that I preach. It's also very intimidating because you stand there and make people think. Yeah. But my thing is this, I can't change your life till I change the way you think. So I have to preach a, an absolute truth, a truth revealed, the truth understood, that causes you to change the way you think about the word of God that is being ministered so that in changing your thinking, you'll change your life. Praise God. Uh, Miss Cheryl, very, uh, Brother Martin, that's why I follow you on F Facebook. Oh, sir, that is so blessed. I, I'm truly blessed by that. I'm thankful that you, you tune in with us every time we're on. Uh, Brother Donald, thank you, sir. I hope that word helps. And uh, however you do it, however you do it, I sincerely hope if you call the prophet your man of God, if the prophetess is your woman of God, that you will sow your life into them. Not just your money. Sow your life. Miss Cheryl, very few can bring the word of truth understood that it had immediate impact. Well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm a blessed man today. I can, I can see this. Brother Donald, I do so into the vision of my man of God, and I do so into his books, and I pray more for my man of Spiritual parents, more than I pray for myself and take more listening to this message all the time. But I'm not feeling that is all of that. No, sir, that's not. See, that, that's the success thing. Pastor Terry, good to have you on. That's the success thing. That's about what you can get from it. You pray for him for what we get from God. You sow into his books and what you get in learning. You're listening to what, you, what he teaches to, for what you get out of it. But sowing your life into it is not about what you can get. It's what you can give. See, I, I, I have achieved success in ministry, if you want to look at it that way. But whenever my spiritual father is in my country or wherever he needs me, because I've traveled around the world with him, I don't go there to be the bishop. I go there to be the Elisha. I carry the bags. Yeah, the bishop carries the bags. I went to Paris with Dr. Murdoch. We were going to, he was the main speaker at a conference. I speak for the guy he was going to speak for. I've done conferences myself for the pastor that was hosting him. So I could have gone there thinking, well, you know, I, I'm a speaker just like, I'm a preacher just like Dr. Murdoch. When Dr. Murdoch got off the plane, I was waiting at the gate. My plane landed one gate down from where he lived. When Dr. Murdoch got off the plane, I was waiting there to carry his bag. Why? That's how you serve. I would never look at my man of God and not try and find a way to sow my life into him. When he's here in the UK, 
you better believe if I got anything on my schedule, it is immediately cancelled. There is only one occasion in the 10 years that I have served my man of God that I have had to leave him to go do something else to come back to him the same day. And that was because I promised to be a part of a wedding and I would not let the bride and groom down. But Dr. Murdoch understood. So I left London at five o'clock in the morning, drove to where I live, six hours away, did the wedding, finished the wedding, got in the car and drove straight back to be with Dr. Murdoch. Why? That's how important my man of God is. And if I had not had to do that, I would not have gone. That's what I talk about when I mean give your life to serving the man of God. Elijah, Elisha gave up his life to serve the man of God. The benefit of it was God gave him the double portion. God gave him what he asked for. And Elisha goes on to do far more than Elijah. Why? Because he gave so much of his life, so much of his self, that God, excuse me, God looks at him and says, because of your faithfulness to serving the man of God, to serving the prophet, I will give you what you want. Thank you, Apostle Claire. If you want to understand the anointing, buying the books. See, let me put it to you this way. There are things I've learned from Dr. Murdoch that I would never learn from reading his books. It took being in his presence, being close to him, being near to him, being in intimacy with him. Now, I don't mean that in any other way than the level of what is shared. I flew to Paris to meet him, to go carry his bags, okay? Now, I remember what it was like when I was a young armor bearer. So I'm, 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 I'm old enough to know the weight of the responsibility of the office that I hold in the kingdom. I'm young enough to remember what it was like when I carried somebody else's bags. My man of God arrived, would flown all night from Dallas to Paris, was tired. When we got to the hotel, the room wasn't ready. His room wasn't ready. Mine was. Do I go rest and leave my man of God there? No. I told the pastor, we'll sort out Dr. Murdoch's room. Told Dr. Murdoch, here's what's going to happen. My room is ready. You need to rest. So I'm going to put you in my room. You go sleep. When your room is ready, I will take care of all of the luggage. I will get everything ready for the service tonight. You just tell me what time you want me to wake you up. Dr. Murdoch told me, wake me at 6 p.m. because we were leaving the hotel at 6.30. At 6 p.m., I wake my man of God up. I'm not saying this to boast. I'm telling you, this is, a, this is how a bishop serves his man of God. Because I was a, a well-seasoned bishop, administrator of 7,000 churches worldwide when I did this. I could have played the bishop card. I could have played the, do you know who I am? Do you know what I do? I didn't. Why? Because nobody will stop me serving my man of God. Nobody. When I was a bishop in the, in, in, the Congre in the communion that I was a part of, nobody would stop me serving my man of God. Nobody. I would have done exactly the same if my man of God in the communion had asked me to travel with him. And this is what I did. Dr. Murdoch goes to rest. And I went. And about 45, 50 minutes later, they came and said, the room, his room is ready. I went to his room. I had them bring the luggage up, because it's a lot for me to carry, between my luggage and his. I had them bring his luggage up. I unpacked his luggage. I sent everything else, uh, everything that needed to be pressed, to be pressed. I got everything ready. I unpacked everything. I put everything how I know my man of God likes to have it. I got all of his devices out. I made sure they were fully charged. I made sure we had extra battery packs in case we needed extra power when we were traveling to or from the, the service. I made sure that his clothes went to be straightened out because they'd been in a case for 15, 16 hours. So his suits needed pressing. His shirts needed pressing. I laid out clothes on his bed for him to wear that night. The only thing he had to choose when he came into that room was what tie was he going to wear. And I put a selection of ties and a selection of, of corresponding pocket squares for him to choose. I chose his clothes. I laid everything out. I prepared his bathroom. I filled his bath. 
I made sure that he had a hot bubble bath to, when I went down to that room to pick him up, to bring him to his room to get ready, everything he needed was ready. I ordered food that I knew he would like so he would have something to eat whilst we were waiting to leave, if he wanted to. Why? I've invested enough of myself in my man of God to know what he likes, what he needs, how he flows, how he functions. I'm also a preacher that travels and I know what it takes for me to be ready to flow in the anointing. And if I know what it takes for me to flow, how much more should I know what it takes for the anointing on my man of God to flow? So I have learned concerning my man of God to eliminate every unnecessary decision so that his focus is purely on the Lord and what the Lord would have him speak to that people in that hour. Yesterday I had a series of phone calls here. Some I dealt with, some I refused to. People calling me with their problems and they, you know, Bishop, I need you, can you help me with this today? No, I can't. And some were upset. Well, I need your help. I don't care. I'm here to serve the vision of the prophet and the prophetess and to serve their missions week and I will not let anything else break my focus because I'm here on God's assignment to do what God needs me to do whilst I'm here. When I'm with my man of God, I ain't answering the phone. You might be texting me, calling me, unless it's him or my family. It's not important enough for me to answer. It's not important enough to break the focus of my man of God or to interrupt what the Spirit is doing between us for a phone call. Nobody is that important except my family. Nobody. Oh, man, I didn't really expect to share that. Let me see what you're saying. Apostle Clear, you're a faithful and loyal servant. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I know Dr. Murdoch does because he tells me. Uh, how can you get access with my man of God, sir? I'm in Sweden. Move. Elisha didn't stay in the field. Elisha didn't stay plowing the ox. You want access? There's a price to be paid. I want access to Dr. Murdoch. I can't do it from sitting in my home. When I wanted access to my bishop, I couldn't do it sitting in my, in my home. Could not do it sitting in my home. I had to go to where my man of God was. Dr. Murdoch was in London. I went to London. Dr. Murdoch was in Paris. I went to Paris. When Dr. Murdoch was in Nigeria, I was in Nigeria. I went where my man of God was. I paid the price to be where my man of God was. My bishop in the communion. I go to Germany because that's where he was. I've been to Holland with my, my bishop. That's where he was. We went there together. I've been to Japan with my man of, with my bishop. Why? Because that's where he was going. I paid the price. We went to India. I paid the price to be where he was. The mentor doesn't pursue the protege. I'd be bouncing all over the world if I had to chase the proteges that want me as a spiritual father. The protege pursues the mentor. So, I, I know it's rather straight, Brother Donald, uh, probably a little straighter than you used to, but that's how, that's, uh, I, I don't mince my words. I say what I need to say, and I mean what I say. So if you want access to your man of God, you better volunteer, and you better move. You're going to have to move to get round the anointing that you desire. If Dr. Murdoch called me today and said, Son, I need you in Dallas next week, guess where I'm going? I'm not going to tell him, Oh, actually, sir, I, you know, my schedule is pretty busy and I've got a lot of things. Mm -mm -mm -mm. My man of God calls. I'm going. I can tell you. I can give you an example. I can remember Prophet Angel calling me Saturday afternoon. Bishop, I need you to do me a favor. I said, Yes, sir, what do you need? Because he's a man that I cancel plans for. I proved that this week. I've canceled other plans to be here for the Prophet because I value that. That's how much I value that relationship with him. I said, Bishop, my man of God's just called. I'm on my way to the airport. I've got to go to Nigeria. I said, what do you need me to do? As a man that pastors his own church, has multiple congregations, all listening to him, 
His man of God called and, and the prophet dropped everything to go to where his man of God wanted him. I would do the same with mine. In fact, I'll tell you this. Many years ago, when uh, traveling was not as easy for me, I couldn't do it as readily as I could, when we had to do everything on a very tight budget, my bishop called me and told me, I want you in Germany by, by 1 p.m. on this Friday. And gave the date because it was a few days before a few weeks before and I didn't have the money to just jump on a plane and go so I took a 32 hour bus ride yeah you heard me a bus to get from where I lived to London to Frankfurt to where he was three times to change transport modes I took a 32-hour bus ride. Well, let me not say 32-hour bus ride because I spent seven and a half hours on a layover in London from the time my bus arrived in London to the time I got on the bus to go to Frankfurt that night. And then I had to take another connection from Frankfurt to where my man of God was, which is another two and a half hours away. 32 hours of traveling. Why? My man of God told me, I want you here by this time on that day. And guess what? I was there by that time on that day. Whatever I had to do to get there, I was going to get there. There is not one time, not one time, that my man of God has called, except for one, when I was too ill to travel. And that was not that long ago. That was last year, I think. Yeah, last year. And I was really struggling with my heart, my blood pressure. And I was not well enough to travel. There is not one time that I have not been able to answer the call from my man of God, whether that was my bishop or my spiritual father, Dr. Miller, not one time. I pay the price for access. I hope that helps. In fact, there's somebody else right now that's watching. You, you, you've just learned a lot. You're looking at a man or a woman of God to be a spiritual father, and you've just realized, I'm going to have to pay a price for this. You will have to pay a price for mentorship. It doesn't come free. We don't hold it. Anything we get for free, we don't hold it with the same value as something we've paid the price for. I can say, many people have, have uh, I've blessed many people with cars and they've not held it with the same value as if they'd had to earn that money to pay for it. And one car that I was given as a blessing, I didn't hold it with the same value as the same car that I earned. I... Uh, I was blessed with an S-Class Mercedes, and I've bought several S-Class Mercedes in my time. The one I was given, in fact, I was given two. One, two. No, was I given two? I think I might have been given three, actually. Anyway, two of them I've been given, and the first one I did not hold with the same value as the one I worked to pay for. The last one that I was given, my la the last S-Class Mercedes I was given, I held with extreme value because my spiritual father gave it to me. Called me up one day and said, son, I'm going to buy you a car. And bought me an S-Class Mercedes. And I, man, I held that thing with great esteem. I loved that thing. And not in the wrong way, but, you know, I held that with great value because of why I had it and who it came through. But when we get stuff for free, we don't hold it with value. As the same value that you would when people give us information for free we don't hold it with the same value as we would at the information that somebody can teach you something for free and you take it you know you're you're neither moved by it or affected by it you read the same thing in a book that you pay 20 30 pounds for oh you will act on what you've read in the book why it costs you money to get it you had to work to pay for it and then a man of God comes and gives you the same information for free. In fact, gives you better information. Information that will change your life. Permanently. Release the anointing and the blessing of God on your life. And we treat it with disregard. Because the man of God gave it to us for free. And yet, last night we learned, even Saul went to Samuel the prophet with an offering in his hand. So there we go. Those are my thoughts for today anyway. That went on way longer than I thought it was going to. Look at that. Been online for over an hour. Praise God. Well, I hope that's blessed you. I hope you'll share this. Hope you'll tell your friends, go watch this. Bishop Dewar was phenomenal this morning. I'm joking. I, I can't say that about myself. I have a good sense of humor, though. 
But I pray that this will speak to you. And uh, if you're watching live or you're watching on the replay, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Uh, if you're not yet, subscribe to our YouTube channel, www.youtube.com forward slash. Have I got a thing for it? No, can't even see that. Where is it? There we go. Can you see it? No, wrong way. Forward slash Bishop Dewar. That looks terrible. Let's get rid of that. Um, I'm going to put some other stuff there. Thank you, Brother Don. My brother Martin, good to have you on. I uh, The last few days, Martin, uh, you need to pick up your teaching ministry again. I don't know whether you're still doing it, but uh, the last few days the Holy Spirit's reminding me, you need to pick up your teaching ministry again. Start doing some more. Uh, Apostle Claire, thank you so much. I pray that blesses you in Rotterdam. And I will speak to you all again soon. Brother Donald, make the move. Make the move. If you want to be around, around your mind, now I'm not saying it's going to be easy, because it ain't. I know, the, I know the protections around the prophet. Getting close to him, getting on that team, is not going to be easy. But if you are serious about it, you'll pay the price. You'll do what's necessary to get around the man of God. Elijah did. Elisha did, sorry. Dewa did. So Brother Donald better. Anyway, that's my thoughts. Have a wonderful day. Uh, um, be blessed. Stay safe. And uh, I know we're still going through this pandemic, but we are, uh, we are under the protective care of God's hand. And I pray that even though you may catch it, that it will not hurt you, harm you, or hinder you in any way. That it will just brush off you like a heavy cold at best but until then stay safe i will look forward to seeing you all next live stream i don't know when it'll be. it might be friday or saturday well let's see how the lord leads and next week don't forget next week monday night 8 p.m cdtv live on facebook uh periscope youtube we have a very special guest who was supposed to be with us monday but i had to uh reschedule to be here as i told you i will cancel things postpone things but joining me live from los angeles is a good friend minister william mcgee monday 8 p.m and then next wednesday we're back with cdtv again at 10 p.m in the uk i will put the times on social media for you to see thank you so much looking forward to seeing you on the next one blessings to you thank you miss cheryl apostle claire and everybody that's watching have a truly wonderful day. Until the next one, this is Bishop Dewar saying goodbye and wishing you every blessing. May heaven smile on you today and always.